Well, today is Palm Sunday. It's the day that we remember that Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey. And people put down palm branches and they were singing Hosanna in the highest. But it was not but a few days later that Jesus was brought to His knees by some of those same people who decided to turn on Him as they realized He wasn't the kind of king that they were expecting Him to be. But because He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, we know that one day He will not return on a donkey. He'll return on a white stallion in a cloud of glory. And He won't be brought to His knees, but everyone will be brought to their knees and they will say, King of kings and Lord of lords. We get the opportunity to do that today because our faith is in Him. He is a triumphant King. He is a glorious King. He is a conquering King. And may God give us faith in Him today that increases not only our passion for Him, but our confidence in Him as we seek to live for His praise. Let's pray. Father, we want to ask You to do something for us today that we can't do ourselves. Increase our faith that causes us to move into action. That we might take up the sword of the Spirit, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, You might empower us to fight the battle for the gospel on enemy turf. Lord, do this through the preaching of Your Word, through the meditation upon Your power. Work, Lord, work. Cause Your Spirit to move in us. Cause Your Spirit to fill us. Lord, conquer our fears today. Conquer our anxieties today. Conquer our worldliness today. Conquer our materialism. Conquer the emptiness of our mundane lives. And rise us up above that that we might see the real spiritual battle that is at hand. And give us every resource that we need. Every bit of artillery that we need to engage in the battle that we might join Jesus Christ. It's in His name and for His sake that we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 23 today. We're going to be looking at the battle of Michmash Pass. The battle of Michmash Pass. It's 3,000 years ago. The people of Israel have demanded a king. God has said, I am your king. They have said, you're not good enough. We want a man. And so God has given them Saul. He's tall. He's handsome. He's everything they want. And yet, he's nothing that they need. And the reason is, 
is because just because he looks good on the outside, he does not have a heart to obey God. He does not have a heart to listen to God. And he does not have a heart to have faith in the midst of trouble, in the midst of fears, in the midst of anxieties. And what do you need out of a king when times are tough? When troubles are near, when enemies are encroaching, you don't need a king who is going to run away. You don't need a king who is going to hide. You don't need a king who is going to get so full of anxiety that he disobeys. You need a king, you need a leader who is full of faith, who is full of trust, who is full of empowerment from the Holy Spirit. And so Samuel approaches Saul after he's disobeyed and offer up the burnt offering and he asked that question, what have you done? And Saul tries to justify his unbelief. And Samuel walks away. And with Samuel goes the Word of God. And with Samuel goes the power of God. And with Samuel goes the will of God. And so what does, what does Saul do? He tries to rally his guys together. They retreat back into a cave. Some of your versions may say a tree, a pomegranate tree or a pomegranate cave. And he assembles for himself a chaplain. Samuel is not here. Samuel's the prophet. He acts as a priest, so he assembles a chaplain. He gets a chaplain to try to help him. The chaplain's name is Ahijah. Now, it's interesting if you look down at the text, because there is some unnecessary information about this team chaplain, this military chaplain that Saul has. He's the son of Ahitub. Here's the, here's the unnecessary information. He is Ichabod's brother. Whenever we read about chronology, whenever we read about genealogies in the Bible, rarely do we see somebody's brother. We say, so-and-so begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so, or he was the son of so-and-so, and he was the son of so-and-so. But here it says that he's Ichabod's brother. Why? Because the narrator wants us to know that Saul has assembled for himself somebody who is already representative that the glory has departed from Israel. You see, when you reject the Word of God and you disobey the commands of God, the glory departs. The glory departs. And this is representative of where Saul is in his life and in his leadership. So verse 1 starts by saying that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. Oh, what's the other side? All right, so, so you have Michmash, which is north and west of Gibeah, Gibeah. And it is on the other side of a river. And, and Michmash is in Israel, Israelite territory. And the Philistines have gotten mad about the Israelites because they, they, want a, they want a little battle. And word got back to Philistia. And so Philistia sent their horsemen, sent their foot soldiers, sent more of their military and, and their chariots. And so thousands upon thousands have come into Israelite territory to the north and to the west. And they've settled their camp up above Michmash. And down below is Gibeah. And Saul has his army of 600 men in Gibeah. They were 3,000, but they're not 3,000 anymore because some of his warriors have defected to go over to the, to the Philistine side. Listen, everybody loves a winner. 
Nobody wants to be on a losing team. You ever been on a, on a, on a losing team? You ever gone 0-16, 0-31? You ever, it's not any fun. Most people don't like that, and so they want to join the winners. And so Israelite has some defectors. Not only do they have defectors, they also have deserters. they got Israelites that are hiding under rocks and in tombs. They've, they've swam across the Jordan River to get to the other side. They have all kinds of people who have gone. So the army is now not 3,000, it's 600. And so Saul has his little army tucked away in a cave south of Gibeah. He keeps getting further south and further south because he's retreating, essentially, from the Philistine army that's encroaching. And his son Jonathan, who's already been brave before, makes a decision. Let's go over to the Philistine garrison. He's got an armor bearer. He's a, he's a loyal friend. He's a trusted warrior. He said, let's go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. Look at the end of verse 1. What did Jonathan not tell his dad? He didn't tell him he was going. You have to ask the question. Okay, here Saul, here Saul is, king of Israel. Here Jonathan is, Saul's chief warrior. The only one who's actually proven his mettle in, in battle. And Saul's chief warrior does not tell the king that he's leaving to go to the other side. Why is that? Why is it? Why does he not tell his dad? Because his dad is proving to be disobedient. His dad is proving to be a bit of a coward. His dad is proving that there is no glory with him because he's disobeying the Lord. Jonathan knows there's something about his dad that he does not want to follow. He believes his dad would tell him no. He believes his dad would say no, stop. We are not going to go across that other side. And so what does Jonathan do? Jonathan does what good leaders do. Appeals to the Lord, trusts the Lord, and goes into the battle regardless of who's going with him. And so Saul's staying back in Gibeah, and he's got this chaplain with him and hoping that that's going to help him out. And the people don't even know that Jonathan is gone. And when in these passes, Jonathan goes over to the to the side where the Philistines are. And if you look down at verse 6, it says, Jonathan says to the young man who carries his armor, come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. By that he means, let's go over to the side where, where these guys don't have the covenant faithfulness and the covenant loyalty of a great and glorious God. Let's go to these people who don't love God, who don't honor God, who despise Him, who worship idols, and who are doing everything they can to defy the army of the living God. Let's go over to their side. It sa- he says then, it may be, it may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Keep your eye on the text. I love the faith that that, um, Jonathan has here. Notice, though, that he leaves the opportunity. He doesn't know exactly what God's going to do. He says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. In other words, I know he's got the power. I know he's got the ability. I don't know exactly what he's going to do, but he can do it. It may be that Yahweh will work for us. For I know that nothing can stop the Lord. I know nothing can be an impediment to the Lord. I know that nothing can, can rise up and defeat the Lord from saving, whether it's by many, whether it's by thousands, or whether it's by few. And church... 
This is a reality. It can be you against the world. But if you've got God on your side, you're in the majority. Remember that. I don't care whether you're in a board meeting, whether you're in a classroom, whether you're going door to door, knocking on doors, trying to ask people if they know Jesus. It doesn't matter what battle you're in. It doesn't matter whether you're, you're going up against spiritual warfare within your own family or whether you're going up against spiritual warfare as you're trying to declare the gospel from the rooftops. If you have God on your side, you're in the majority. Jonathan knows that. And so his armor bearer sees his faith, sees his trust, and says, Hey, Jonathan, do everything that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Listen, the Philistines number thousands. I mean, they are the most intimidating army that exists on the planet Earth. And here you have this one man who's kind of gone away from the army and his armor bearer is coming in and he says, I believe you, Jonathan. I trust you. I'm with you 100%. You must ask the question, how is it possible that someone who carries the armor of an individual could say, I'm with you 100%? The answer to that is, he saw Jonathan's faith in the sovereign, omnipotent, infinite power of his God. I want to tell you something about leadership. You trust God. You believe God. You love God. You obey God. You know what it does? It invokes the loyalty of the people that you lead. It invokes the, the fidelity of the people that you lead. And they will go into battle with you wherever you go because they know that you know and you trust the Lord. Look at verse 8. Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men. We will show ourselves to them. And here's the plan. Here's the plan. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand still in our place. And we won't go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be the sign to us. In other words, if they say come up, we know we've got them. We know we've got them. And so what happens? So both of these men, they go through the crags, they show themselves, they're down below, the Philistine encampment is up above. And and it kind of goes like this. The, The bulk of the army is over here. And then you had some more of the soldiers who were closer toward Gibeah, kind of close to those crags, and they're basically the watchmen. I mean, honestly, guys, Gibeah and Michmash are within eye eye distance of one another. They both have watchmen that are set out. The, The Israelites have watchmen on the north side of their camp, and the Philistines have watchmen on the south side of their camp, and they can see what's going on. And in between, there are these rocks, these these crags. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer go between the crags and reveal themselves from down below up to the watchmen and some of the soldiers, just a small portion of the garrison. And they look down at these guys and they scoff at them. They said, it looks like the Hebrews have come out of the rocks. Looks like they've, they've come out from hiding and showing themselves. And what do they say? They say, come up to us. Come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. We'll show you a thing. Listen, 
When you've got power, when you feel like you've got the upper hand, it creates a significant amount of pride and a significant amount of arrogance. That's, that's the spirit of a bully, right? If you feel like you're stronger, if you feel like you're taller, if you feel like you're better, then you're going to push people around and you're going to start taunting a little bit more. You're going to be a little bit more brash. There's going to be a little bit more bravado about you. And that's exactly what happens with the Philistines and their spirit. And so, and so what happens? Jonathan says to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. This is faith. This is trust in the supreme power of an almighty God. And church, I feel like through the week, one of the best observations that I made from this story comes in verse 13. Look at it. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet. What's the observation? Jonathan says right before that, the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. At that point, you're thinking that the Philistines are going to come out with hands raised, waving the white flag. We're done. We're giving up. We're marching into your camp. Go ahead, handcuff us. We give up. I mean, wouldn't that be what you would think if he says the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel? But instead, Jonathan immediately gets on his hands, gets on his knees, gets on his feet, and climbs up a rock like a cat. And then attacks the Philistine army like an enraged tiger. What does that teach us? It teaches if you believe in the sovereign power of an almighty, omnipotent God, it will move you into the direction of God's glory. And it will not cause you to sit back and wait. It will not cause you to just say, oh, well, I hope he does something. God's power and faith in it moves you to action. And that's exactly what happens here. They move into action, and he begins to strike down these watchmen and strike down a portion of this garrison within about a half an acre of land, and his armor bearer is right behind him and kind of cleans things up. And I have no idea what that looked like. And it doesn't really matter what that looked like because it is God that is doing the work. Let's read what happens at that point. He climbs up on his hands and feet. The, they, they fall before Jonathan. His armor bearer kills them. The first strike, Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men. And there was a panic in the camp in the field, and among all the people. And, and if you kind of think about their camp running from south back up to the north, the guys who are in the middle portion of the camp look at the 20 men and dead, and they get crazy. They, they start panicking. And then the guys, the, the, the horsemen and the charioteers, they start panicking. They start turning on one another. They don't know what's going on. And then if you look back down at the te- text, it says there's a panic in the camp, in the field, among all the people. The garrison and the raiders tremble. The earth quakes, and it becomes a very great panic. I want you to know that when the ESV says it's a very great panic, that literally means the shuddering of God. There was a shuddering of God in the camp of the Philistines that day. This is the work of God. And so the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah Benjamin look, and they see the multitude dispersing here and there. That word dispersing literally means melting. 
This solid, strong, unified camp of the Philistines is literally melting away at the sight of this man who believes in Yahweh, who trusts the power of his God. Saul says to the people who are with him, count, count see who's gone from us. What does this indicate? This indicates that Saul has lost it. He doesn't even know who's in his camp. I mean, there's only 600 of them. And he he doesn't even know that his chief warrior, his lead guy in battle is not even among them. He is clueless. And the reason he's clueless is because he's faithless. He's faithless because he does not trust in the power of God like his son does. And so they count. And of course, Jonathan and his armor bearer aren't there. And so he says to Ahijah, his chaplain, he says, bring the ark of God here. Now what's he going to do with the ark? Maybe appeal to God. Maybe trust the Lord. Maybe take, him into, maybe take it into battle. Who knows what he's going to do with it exactly. But Saul is talking to the priest and the tumult in the camp, the chaos, the crisis in the camp of the Philistines increases more and more. So Saul just says, no, forget the ark. Forget whatever chaplaincy you're going to bring. Withdraw your hand. And so Saul and all of his people rally and go into the battle. Why? Because they see that the Philistines are in trouble. They see that the Philistines are turning on one another. It looks like we might have victory in hand. Let's go out and claim that victory, Saul says. Every Philistine sword is against one another. There is significant confusion, verse 20 says. And so look at verse 21. The Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. That is, those defectors, the one who left Saul's army to join the Philistine army, are now turning on the Philistines. Who else is doing that? Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves, that is, the deserters in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. And so the Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. What does that mean? It just moved more west and more north toward the land of Philistia. What happens here? What happens is exactly what Jonathan believed would happen. The Lord saved His people. The Lord rescued His people. The Lord delivered His people. I believe there's one lesson that God wants to teach us in this passage, church. I want you to listen to this because it is critical for your life. It is critical for your family. It is critical for our church. Faith in God's power plus moving in God's direction produces the saving of God's people. Faith in God's power plus moving in God's direction produces the saving of God's people. Jonathan believed in the infinite power of a sovereign God. Jonathan also believed that as he moved 
As he moved in the direction of trusting God and believing God, God would deliver his people. And in doing so, God saved. Now, I believe that that Jonathan's philosophy of ministry, Jonathan's principle for battle, would be very similar to what Paul's was. Very similar to what the Apostle John's was, who said, who said, He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. He who is with us is greater than he who is in the world. He who is for us is greater than he who is in the world. He who is present with us is greater than he who is in the world. And so I will go into whatever battlefront, I will go into whatever struggle, whatever difficult circumstance, whatever challenge, and I will know that my God is on my side and he's more powerful than whatever I'm going up against. Faith in God's power plus moving in God's direction produces the saving of God's people. Now, I really want to ask you two questions today. And this is for, for you to be like Jonathan, to trust the Lord, to believe in His power, and to walk in that and to see God saved, to see God sanctified, to see God transform. I want to ask you the first question, where does spiritual confidence come from? Where does faith in God come from? I'm going to attempt to answer that to help you today. It comes from knowing the attributes of God. If you know that God is supreme, if you know that God is sinless, if you know that God is set apart, if you know that God is holy, There is is none like Him. There is none above Him. There is none better than Him. There is none purer than Him. If you know the attributes of God, that nothing can thwart the plan of God or the purposes of God, if you know His attributes of love and mercy and grace combined with power and sovereignty, If you know the attributes of God, then you will have faith in Him. Not only that, if you will know the actions of God. If you know the actions of God, that He is a God who saves. That He rescued Adam and Eve out of their own sin and made a way for them to have eternal life even though they rejected God. That you know that He is a God who delivers His people out of struggle after struggle after struggle, even though they are unbelieving, even though they struggle and, 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 and are idolatrous. Yet, if you know His actions, that He delivered them out of Egypt, that He's delivering them through the wilderness, that He delivers them into the promised land, that He delivers them through against the Philistines and the Ammonites and the Amalekites and all those who would oppose the glory of God and the people of God. If you know His actions are such that He saves His people time and time again, it will cause you to trust in Him. It will cause you to believe in Him. And you'll say that He who is with me and He who is for me is greater than the object that I'm going against. You have to know His attributes and you have to know His actions and you also have to know His allegiances. Church, I want you to know if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you say, I believe that Jesus Christ lived perfectly, that He fulfilled all righteousness, and that He went to the cross 
and He bore the weight of my personal sin. That He endured the punishment that I deserve on the cross. That He was buried. That on the third day, He rose from the dead. Defeating the power of death and hell and sin and Satan and darkness. And that He ascended into heaven where right now He is at the right hand of the Father. And one day He's going to return and He's going to reign forever and ever. If you believe that, and you're trusting in that, you believe that He is covenantally loyal to you. You believe that He is covenantally faithful to you. You believe that He will not turn His back on you. He will not depart from you in the moment that you have to make a decision to have faith in Him. Listen, God will never turn His back on you. God will never abandon you. God will never say, nope, pal, this one's on your own today. You have to go in by yourself. God will never do that because of His allegiance to your soul. So I don't care if you've got a a big meeting on Wednesday or if you've got to walk into the emergency room and perform some significant thing to save a person's life or whether you've got to stand in front of a significantly disobedient child and figure out how to love him or her, or whether you've got to face a a significant trial of illness or disease in your life, I just want you to know that God's allegiance is unwavering to you. Jonathan knew that. Jonathan knew the attributes of God. Jonathan knew the past actions of God. And Jonathan knew that God is loyal to the very end. And that gave him power. It gave him faith. So not only do you need to know his attributes and his actions and his allegiances, but you need to know your relationship with God. And if you're a Christian, you are a son or daughter of the living God. You're in his family. Not only are you in his family, you're in his army. And He is a great King. And He is a great Lord. And, and listen, you can, you can triumph in whatever issue that you're facing, in whatever battlefield that you're on, because you are in relationship with Him and He empowers you. You need to know your purpose in God. Now, if you're going to have confidence, if you're going to have faith that moves you, then you've got to know your purpose in God. Listen, I don't know. Some of you might be wrestling with with whether to take this job or to take that job. Some of you might be wrestling with whether to major in this in college or major in that in college. Some of you might be wrestling with whether or not you should take on a certain ministry or maybe another ministry. Look, I don't know the answers to those questions. But what I do know, and what you should know, is that God has called you to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ no matter where you are. You see, your relationship and your purpose in the kingdom of God is that you are a representative of Jesus Christ. And wherever you go, no matter whether you're at the hospital or in the classroom, no matter whether you're on the beach or in the mountains, you represent Jesus. And so in representing Jesus, you know your purpose. Your purpose is to exalt Him. It is to praise Him. It is to declare His glory wherever you go. You do that by the way that you live. You do that with the words that you speak. And you do that by the message that you give to the people whom God puts in your area of influence.
You must know your purpose in God and your purpose is to be a representative, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Where does spiritual confidence come from? It comes from rejecting the influences of unbelief and fear. And embracing, absolutely embracing God's purpose for you. I'm going to be very practical with you. The more you read the articles on Fox News and CNN, the more you scroll through your timeline on Facebook and Twitter, and the more you get caught up in everything that is going on on the political scene, on the international war scene, on everything, the more you fill yourself with that kind of stuff and that kind of information to the, the absence of the Word of God, to the absence of prayers to God, to the absence of the fellowship with the people of God around the Word of God, let me tell you what, you're going to get fearful. You're going to get anxious. You're going to get angry. You're going to get pessimistic. You're going to go down a direction where we see millions of Americans going down today as they, they're angry and they become bigoted. They become um, chaotic. They become uh, adamant in things that you should not be adamant about. But if you fill yourself with the Word of God and lean on Him in prayer and be full of the Spirit of God, then you will not just be You'll not be optimistic. You will have faith. You will know that He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. And it doesn't matter what all's going on in this world. Only thing that matters is what's going on in your own heart. And you know, just like Jonathan knows, that nothing can hinder the work of the Lord. I want to just answer it one more way. Where does spiritual confidence come from? It comes from 100% commitment to the advancement of God's kingdom. 100% advancement to the uh, 100% commitment to the advancement of God's kingdom. What's wrong with the church today? What's wrong with quote unquote evangelicalism? Is that we want God, we want the gospel, but we want so much other stuff too. We, we want the American dream. We want the big house. We want the nice cars. We want our kids to succeed. We want to have prominence in the community. We want to have, we want to, have uh, to be the envy of everyone else's eye. We want all the other stuff and the gospel. And that's not how it works. It only works if we 100% get in God's boat, 100% get in with Jesus Christ and say, come hell or high water, Jesus is all I've got. And I'm going to live for His glory. And I'm going to stay in His boat until the very end. Where does spiritual confidence come from? It comes from knowing the attributes of God, the actions of God, the allegiances of God. It comes from knowing your empowerment from God, from knowing your purpose in God, and being 100% committed to that. The second question that I want to ask you is how daring is your faith in the Lord? How daring is your faith in the Lord? Let's do this. After you write down that question, if you're taking notes, I would like for you to just 
bow your head. If you want to, you can close your eyes. And I'm going to give you about a minute to answer that question. How daring is my faith in the Lord? Okay, let's have a history lesson. Jonathan's faith led him to cross over into the Philistine army. He and his armor bearer against an army that the Scripture says numbered more than the sands on the seashore. Because he knew that God's glory was at stake. And he dared to go up against this massive army even though he was two in number. A couple of chapters from now, we're going to read that David's daring faith in the Lord, even though he's small and ruddy and young, goes up against a giant with five smooth stones. And he says, how dare you defy the army of the living God? We read about Daniel, whose faith led him in the front of the king, in front of the king's hired man, said, I'm going to eat only vegetables and drink only water as a commitment to my God and as a testimony to my Lord, no matter what. He was resolved. His faith led him to that. His friends Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are compelled to bow down before this 90-foot statue. And they say, no, we will not bow down before this idol. You can kill us before we do that, but I believe God will save us. Their faith led them to stand in front of the king and say, we will not bow down to idols. John the Baptist's faith led him to stand in front of Herod and say, the relationship that you have with your wife is wrong. It is unrighteous. And here he goes. He gets his head chopped off because his faith led him to stand for the righteousness of God. Peter, after the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus, walks right into the Jerusalem temple and he stands in front of the people who murdered Jesus and says, Jesus Christ is the Lord. He was killed, he was buried, and he's raised from the dead. Paul's faith led him to go from village to village from province to province, from prison to prison, because he knew that Jesus Christ is the Lord. The apostles all followed their lead. Martin Luther, in the 1500s, is inside the Holy Roman Empire. They're essentially the only church in the world at that day. And he sees all of the abuses, all of the manipulation, all of the greed, and he stands up in front of the Holy Roman Empire and ultimately says to the hierarchy, says, here I stand on the Word of God. Do what you have to do. His faith led him to action. John Knox, a Scottish man who had significant faith, is standing in front of Bloody Mary, 
the, the queen of Scotland who, who hated evangelicalism because she held on to her own religion. John Knox, in the face of death, says, give me Scotland or give me death. Adoniram Judson's faith led him to go to the unreached people of Burma. And his first wife dies. And then he marries. His second wife dies. And he marries again. But he ultimately, although family members die left and right, he and his family go to these people and see God save a people who've never heard the gospel because his faith led him to that. John Patton, another Scottish man, is so zealous to go reach the New Hebrides Islands, the people who have never heard the gospel, and his friends and people around him are saying, they'll eat you, they're cannibals, they'll never listen. And John Patton would not listen to them. He would only listen to his faith in God, and he went. And he represented Jesus Christ on those islands. George Whitfield made 13 trips to America when it took weeks and weeks to get over and weeks and weeks to get back. And he traveled on horseback. He had a horse and a traveling pulpit that he put on his horse and he went up and down the eastern seaboard of the Americas until the Great Awakening was started and thousands of people became Christians as he preached the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ because his faith led him to be a representative of Jesus everywhere that he went. Sarah Edwards, the wife of Jonathan Edwards, was the backbone of that man's ministry. She loved her husband faithfully. She loved the hundreds of people who came inside their home and was hospitable to them. Her faith led her to be a great ambassador for Jesus Christ with her family, to her husband, and to all those who came into her home. Johnny Erickson taught his faith, led her to a writing ministry, and an art ministry, and a radio ministry, and a speaking ministry, all while being a quadriplegic. Kay Arthur's faith has led her to start Precept Ministries. All these men and women have had faith in the infinite power of a sovereign God, and what did it do? It led them to action. It led them to action. And Redeemer Church, this is what I want to do today. I want to call you to action. Do you believe in the infinite power of a sovereign God? Do you? Then let's get moving. Let's climb the mountain. Let's get on our hands and feet. Let's go. Is anybody ready to go? Let's go. Let's go. Because listen, we can say amen all day long. We can raise our hands. We can sing. We can do all those things. But if we don't go, we're not say, we're, what we're saying is we don't actually have faith because faith moves. Faith acts. Faith climbs. Trust in a powerful God plus moving in God's direction produces the saving of God's people. The battle against ISIS is a real battle and it needs to be fought with force. The battle against illegal immigration is a real battle and it needs to be fought with wisdom. The battle against liberal politics is a real battle and it needs to be stopped so that children are not murdered. And the gospel is not thwarted. It's a real battle. 
There are a lot of real battles that are out there. The battle against racism is a real battle and it needs to be fought in a variety of ways. But I want to tell you, it's never going to be won apart from the battle for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the souls of men. And church, I I believe in you. I, I know you know God and that you love Him and that you trust Jesus Christ. But I think we should stop forwarding more news articles that talk about liberal politics and start engaging more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think we need to stop talking so much about things and start talking more to people. I think we we need to stop being known for our hate and our antagonism toward individuals and movements and we need to be known for the great love that Jesus Christ has for all people. We've got to engage on that front. Because the only thing that will ultimately defeat ISIS, the only thing that will defeat illegal immigration, so to speak, the only thing that will defeat racism and liberal politics is the powerful kingdom of Jesus Christ Himself. And all that sounds like pie in the sky kind of stuff. But I want to tell you one way for you to be able to move, one way for you to be able to have faith in God's power and to move in God's direction is this week, right now, in about 30 minutes, we're going to start with a time of fasting and prayer. And we're going to get on our hands and knees and we're going to appeal to the Lord for grace that He might move mightily in our church and in our community this week as we reflect on the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So I invite you, we normally do a meal. We're not going to do a meal today. We're going to pray. And we're going to seek the Lord's will. Wednesday night, we've got a sign-up sheet. We're calling it the Community Blitz. We're going to go door to door. We're going to meet our neighbors. We're going to invite them to Friday service. We're going to invite them to Sunday morning service. We're going to give them the gospel if they'll let us. We're We're going to move in God's direction on Wednesday. Friday, we're going to gather here together and we're going to remember the Lord Jesus and His death. We're going to worship Him. We're going to trust Him. Saturday, we're going to talk to our neighbors. We're going to talk to our family members. We're going to invite people to church. And Sunday, we're going to come and celebrate the resurrection of our King, of our Lord. And we're going to trust that there are going to be visitors here. And we're going to be prayed up. And we're going to be fueled by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see if God might save some. Because we know that nothing, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving His people. Let's pray. God, I pray that You will affirm every Christian in this building who gladly represents You and has faith that is fueled by the Holy Spirit. Affirm them right now, Lord. Comfort them with Your affirmation. Comfort them with Your love. Comfort them with Your pleasure. May they know the pleasure of the Lord right now in this place. Because they are obeying Your Word. Father, convict Christians who are not in the battle. Convict Christians who have put their swords down. Convict Christians who have defected to the other side and deserted and are hiding in rocks and and caves and, and tombs. Convict them of their unbelief right now, Lord, and draw them into more significant faith in You. 
Bring them to repentance. Father, we need every warrior. We need every foot soldier. We need every charioteer that that is part of Redeemer, Lord. We want a full army of people who are full of faith to go and do battle for Your glory. We pray for that today. For the glory of Jesus Christ, our King. Thank you. Amen.